0: Good morning, Sugar Creek family. What a joy to be together today and share with you from God's Word. We want to welcome all four of our campuses today. We're so grateful together to be one church in multiple locations. Come on, let's just welcome each campus today. and, And the many of you who are watching, the thousands of you watching all over the world, maybe in different time zones, on different days of the week, and all over Houston, we're so grateful to be together. Thank you for just giving us the opportunity to speak into your life, into your home today. I read this week about a woman in India who watched her sister be dragged away by a Hindu extremist group, and she doesn't know if she's alive or dead. I read about a man in a North Korean prison who was beaten senselessly multiple times over and over again. I read about another woman in Nigeria who is running for her life as she escapes Boko Haram, who kidnapped her. And she is pregnant, and she finally returns home after a while, only to be rejected, both her and her baby, rejected by her community. I read about a group of children who were laughing and speaking and talking as they went to church on Easter Sunday morning in Sri Lanka. But as they got to church, their lives were quickly taken at a bomb explosion within the church. All of these individuals, they live in different regions, countries, and continents, but the only thing that they really had in common was that they are followers of Jesus. They have the same faith that you and I have, but they paid an incredible price for their faith. They were persecuted, opposed, and even killed for their faith in Jesus Christ. Authentic Christianity comes at a great personal cost. This last year, in 2020, the best that we have recorded, about 4,800 people were martyred for their faith in Jesus Christ, killed simply because they were Christians, and nearly 4,500 churches and Christian buildings were attacked and destroyed. Nearly 4,300 individuals were detained, arrested, and imprisoned without a trial simply for their faith in Jesus Christ. Authentic Christianity comes at a great personal maybe you're a christ follower but your christianity is really secluded to just a box you check on a religious affiliation list maybe it's just a profession of faith that you have once made in your life but it really has no implication to everyday life maybe it's a bumper sticker it's a t-shirt you wear here and there and if that's you and that's the sum of your christian faith then maybe there won't ever be a personal cost a price you pay for your faith But if your Christian faith is authentic, it's more than just talk, it's your walk, it's the conduct of your life, it's the convictions you deeply hold on to, no matter the price, it affects every part of your life, it's the decisions you make. If that's Christianity to you, then your Christian faith will come at a great price. Maybe you're watching today from somewhere on the world, or even in this room or one of our campuses and you're not a Christ follower yet, but you're exploring, your heart is beginning to be open to the work of Jesus and you're asking the right questions. First of all, I'm so grateful that you are here. And let me tell you, following Jesus is the most rewarding, life-giving, satisfying journey you'll ever take, but it's also the most costly because you're exchanging your desires, your life for the life of Jesus. But it's so rewarding. Now, some of us might be convinced to think, well, opposition, persecution, those kind of things happen far away in some other country, those hostile, closed countries in the world. But we, thank God, we live in America, the land of the free, the home of the brave. This is the place of religious freedom and justice and liberty. Surely we're protected. And I pray and hope that those words will for a long, long time characterize the nation we so love, but the truth is that opposition to our faith and persecution for our faith, it's inevitable even in America. In fact, it's here, and more of it is on the way. There is going to be, at some point, a personal cost you pay for your faith in Jesus Christ. It may be the cost of a relationship. Maybe you lose your job because of it. Maybe your promotion gets passed over because of it. Maybe people in your own family, they walk out on you or push you to the margins of their life. Why? Because you have chosen to follow Jesus and you have chosen to believe in the Word of God to be your final authority, and you're not operating by culture or popular opinion, you're living by the Word of God, there will be opposition for your faith. I remember a couple years ago, Stacy came home one day from work, and she had been around her physician colleagues all day, and she had brought up to them that she was married to a pastor. They said, What? (laughs) You believe in the Bible, that ancient book? You are a Christian? If for crying out loud, you married a pastor. Authentic Christianity will come at a great personal cost. In our journey through Philippians, we've come to a text that teaches us how we respond and live when our faith is opposed. And in fact, I love Philippians because uh, Paul never had to deal with opposition prior to him becoming a Christian. He was in the elite class. He was a celebrated, respected, honored person that everybody on the street would just bow to because he was a Pharisee, the teacher of the law. He was a Roman citizen, a Hebrew of Hebrews. He had an incredible, luxurious, convenient, and comfortable life. But from the moment he met Jesus, the risen Savior, all of that changed. He gave up all of that because Jesus was worth it. And in his journey of following Jesus, he is beaten and shipwrecked and, and flogged. He is imprisoned. And eventually he will die for his faith in Jesus. And here in Philippians, he is in a Roman prison, chained to a guard 24-7 for at least two years. And he begins to write a letter to a church in Philippi called the Letter of Philippians. And in it, he teaches us, How our attitude can rise above our circumstances. Don't you want a sense of attitude, a joy that is not dependent on the circumstances, the occurrence or the news of today, but an attitude that rises above it. And Paul in Philippians teaches us where joy can be found in the midst of pain, how you can have purpose even in a prison and how you can not just endure, but rejoice and the sufferings on Christ's behalf, how you deal with those who may oppose you because of your faith in Jesus Christ. So we're in Philippians 1 verse 27 onwards and it reads like this, Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then, whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel, without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. This is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved." And that by God. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but to suffer for him. Since you are going through the same struggle you saw I had and now hear that I still have. We dealt with verse 27 last week. So today we're gonna to jump into verse 28 and 29 of this text. And the first thing that Paul will teach us about dealing with opposition for our faith is that if you stand for God, you should expect opposition. If you stand for God, you should expect opposition. Now, I imagine when you share your faith with somebody, maybe a coworker or somebody over coffee, this is a part that you and I tend to leave out because you don't want to scare someone away from following Jesus. So we tend to market Jesus. We want to sell them Jesus. So we'll tell them, hey, if you follow Jesus, you're going to have an amazing life, the perfect marriage. Your kids are going to get into Ivy League schools. You'll get that promotion. You'll get that job, that house, that car. You'll be the head and not the tail. You'll be above and not below the lender, not the borrower. Blessed and highly favored. We do a good job of marketing Jesus. But the truth is that the moment you turn to Jesus, the world will turn on you. Because your faith is going against the grain. You're holding on to deeply held convictions that are not popular. Our culture will not agree with your faith. What you've done is you've drawn a line in the sand of what is true and false, what is moral and immoral, what is right and what is wrong. You're believing in a God you cannot see. You're living by faith, not by sight, and you're allowing the word of God to be over you. It's the final authority of your life. It may not be what you like. It may not be what others like. It may not be the popular opinion of the day. But yet you're saying, this book, this scripture is the final authority of my life. And when you do that, you can expect opposition. When you stand for truth, you can expect Opposition. So Paul says in verse 28 of Philippians 1, don't be frightened by those who oppose you, meaning there are going to be people who oppose you. And in fact, Paul was opposed, persecuted by both non-Christians and Christians. The non-Christians wanted nothing to do with the gospel, but the Christians thought he was too radical for the gospel. Don't go all the way there, Paul. Just have a, a you know, a, a somewhat normal life and just throw Christianity into the mix. But if you stand for true faith, you can expect opposition. Paul told this young pastor named Timothy in 2 Timothy 3.12, he said, in fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Everybody who simply wants to or desires to live for Jesus, a godly life will be, not maybe or could be, by chance, this is a probability, no, you will be persecuted. So you choose conviction over convenience. You choose purity over your passions. You choose to be faithful over your feelings. You choose not to jump in on the gossip. You choose not to compromise your values in order to get ahead in your organization. You choose what is right according to God. You can expect to be persecuted, even by family members, those you love because you've chosen a narrow path. You can expect it, the Bible says. And in fact, the inverse is true as well. If you never face any opposition for your faith, then I would really wonder: is there something wrong with your faith? Notice what Peter said, First Peter 4:12. Dear friends, don't be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. As something strange were happening to you. So here's the breaking news, Christ followers. If you follow Jesus, you'll never fit in on this side of eternity. You'll always be weird. You'll always be strange. You'll always be different than the flow, the current of society. You'll always be different. You'll be disliked. You may even be unfollowed on social media. Whoa, but that's the truth. People will walk out on your life because you've chosen to follow Jesus. And if you never face opposition, that would be strange. So, you stand for Jesus, you stand for God, you can expect opposition. So, what do you do? When you are opposed, we can either react in the flesh or respond in the spirit. When you're opposed, you can either react in the flesh or respond in the spirit. When you are mistreated, when you are passed over, when you are looked over, there's a tendency in all of us to react in the flesh. We want justice, we want what is right. But we shouldn't, we got to not react in the flesh, but respond in the spirit. And there's a world of difference between reacting and responding. When you react, it's an impulse laced by your own desires and concerns for yourself. But when you respond, it's an action laced with the concern of the well-being of others around you. When you react It's an immediate thing, but when you respond, it's a patient response. When you react, it is to prejudge somebody, their motives. But when you respond, it's to give someone the benefit of that doubt. When you react, it says, you hit me, I hit you back, I strike you back. When you respond, you hit me and I turn the other cheek. When you react, you do what is least required for those you don't like. But when you respond in the spirit, you go the extra mile even for your enemies so when you're opposed for your faith you are persecuted for doing what is right for just wanting to be godly and you gain haters because of it you make enemies because of it what do you do don't react in the flesh but respond in the spirit of God's love and his grace How do you do that? First of all, you take the posture of humility and you examine your own heart. Take the posture of humility and examine your own heart. Peter said it like this in 1 Peter 4, verse 15. If you suffer, it should not be as a murderer or a thief or any other kind of criminal, even a meddler. Now, he's saying, okay, when you suffer, just make sure you're not suffering for good reasons, okay? Just make sure you didn't actually deserve the pain. Because sometimes the suffering we go through is simply a rightful consequence of our own actions and we might deserve that pain. So you lost your job, not because of your faith in Jesus, but because you were lazy at that job and you literally beat people over the head with a Bible. So Paul is saying, no, take a deep look. Peter was saying, examine your own heart. So Psalm 139, David taught us to pray like this. 139 verse 23, search me, God and know my heart, test me and know my anxious thoughts, see if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. David is saying, God, I give you full permission to do a deep introspection in my heart, search my motives, search my way and see if there is anything offensive to you. Do a work in my heart and if there is anything that's offensive, lead me in the way everlasting. Is there something in your heart and the way you treat people? Something in your motivations that are simply self-righteous? Am I trying to make a real difference or just trying to prove my point? Am I challenging people out of my life without ever inviting them in? Am I standing for truth without walking out grace? God, do a deep work in me. Search my own heart, my motives, my thoughts. Sometimes the other person who did the wrong against you might have done the 90%, but maybe you contributed the 10, and if you did, it's yours to own the personal wrong. To confess it, to take it before the Lord God, my motivation was wrong. I might have been right in what I said, but my tone, not so. Proverbs 28 says like this in verse 13, he who conceals his transgressions will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will find compassion. So when you respond in the spirit, you first take a look at your own heart. God, what is my motivation? What's the posture of my soul? Second of all, you refuse to retaliate but you pray for their blessing. Refuse to retaliate but pray for their blessing. Even with a clear conscience, there is a sense of revenge that we want. We want to retaliate. Why? Because we can quickly justify our rightful actions based on their wrongful actions, right? We can justify our rightful response, our rightful actions because they did wrong against us. So we'll pick up the phone and begin to call our coworkers. We'll send that all company, all staff email, building our case of how horrible that person is and how unjustly they treated us. We can even dress up our retaliation in a spiritual garb. So we go to small group. You won't believe what happened to me, so-and-so, and you'll begin to pour out your grievances in these horrible colors against somebody. Of course, it's, it's not that I want to place the blame on somebody, but I just want to give you the context of how you can pray for me. We're so prone to retaliate in our own ways. So Paul told us in Romans 12, Romans 12, beginning in verse 14, bless those who persecute you. Bless and curse not. Never pay back evil for evil to anyone. Never take your own revenge, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Paul is being quite blunt here. He's saying, if you take matters into your own hands, what you're doing is you're taking that matter out of God's hand. If you take matters into your own hands, you're taking it out of God's hand. So would you rather God deal with those who oppose you or you deal with those who oppose you? Because you can't really have it both ways. So he says, don't take matters into your own hands when you're opposed for your faith. Trust God with it. He is a just God. He is a good God. And sometimes the most courageous thing you can do when you are opposed for your faith, when you are persecuted, is to actually do nothing but to pray for them, to give it to the Lord, to trust that God is good. He is just because you're saying, God, I'm putting it into your hands, knowing that you're greater than I am. You are stronger than I am. So don't retaliate. Pray for their blessing. Do not give in to fear, but stand firm for what is right, no matter the cost. Responding in the spirit. Don't give in to fear. Stand firm for what is right, no matter the cost. Verse 28, Paul said, without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. Don't be frightened by any way by those who oppose you. This is an interesting Greek word for frightened or alarmed that is only used once in the entire New Testament. It's never used again. But it's actually a word that's found in the Greek ancient texts of classical Greek writing and it's a word that describes a horse being startled. So a horse is on its path doing whatever it does and it sees something, it smells something, it, it, it hears something that frightens it. So it spooks, it jumps sideways, it is startled, it is jolted and it runs the other way from the object that is making it afraid. So Paul is saying, don't be frightened or alarmed when people oppose you. Don't go the opposite direction. No, stand firm. He says in just the previous verse, in verse 27, whether I come to you and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel. So he says, don't be afraid, but stand firm. That word picture for stand firm, it's this image of these soldiers on the battleground and there is an enemy that is opposing them, that is advancing toward them and they may want to run, but Paul is saying stand firm. It's a word picture of them digging their boots into the ground and saying, we believe in our mission, we believe in our cause and we are not backing down. We're not turning the other direction. We're not running away from the opposition. And we are standing firm for what? For the faith of the gospel. Striving together as one. And next week, we're going to be talking about that unity of striving together as one. So you need to come back, tune back in next week. But this is what Paul is saying. Don't fear, but stand firm. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 16 verse 13. Be on your guard. Stand firm in the faith. Be courageous. Be strong. See, the, the secret to being courageous is not to look within, in your own heart, and your own self, and find strength. No, no, no. The secret to being courageous is to look at the God whom you're standing for to look at the God that is standing with you. So in the face of opposition, how do you find courage? You put your eyes back on the one who is faithful, who is good, who is strong, and you focus on God and you remind yourself of the nature, the characteristic of who your God is and you stand firm as you stand in God. That's why when David so often was on the run for his life, opposed, persecuted, Saul trying to kill him, other enemies trying to take his life, what did he do? He began to, he found a cave. He began to write psalms of devotion to God, thinking about God, reminding himself of who his God was. That's where he found courage. So he would pen down words like this in Psalm 18, verse 2. As he was running for his life, he would pause and say, the Lord is my rock, my fortress, and my deliverer. My God is my rock in whom I take refuge. He is my shield, the horn of my salvation, my stronghold." So run, don't run away from your opposition. Run to God. Run to a stronghold that is stronger than you. Run to a rock that is higher than you. You go to God. You put your faith in Him. You offer Him your heart. He puts iron in your heart. He strengthens you. That's where courage is found. Corey ten Boom, a survivor of the Nazi Holocaust, said this, If you look at the world around you, you will be distressed. If you look within yourself, you will be depressed. But if you look at Christ, you will be at rest. Look around you to the world, you'll be distressed. You'll see plenty of things wrong. You'll be distressed. You look within, you see your own flaws and weakness and failures, you'll be depressed. But you look at Jesus, your Christ Your soul is at rest. So don't fear. Stand firm. Look at God in the face of opposition. And lastly, here's a lesson that Paul would say. If you're struggling for your faith, paying a price for your faith, he would say, suffering for Christ is a gift of God's grace. Suffering for Jesus, enduring pain and hardship for Jesus. It's actually a gift of God's grace. Look at verse 29 of Philippians 1. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. And put it in parentheses, it's been graced to you. The word granted that Paul uses is the word chorus, which all across the New Testament means grace. Now, when we think of God's gifts of grace, we think about the many, numerous, positive blessings that God bestows upon us, and they are countless. Think about it, just for a second, the countless blessings of God. You can name them one by one. You can think about it from the rising of the sun to the setting of the same, how good God has been to you. Just the fact that you have been a follower of Jesus that you believed in Christ is a gift of God's grace to you and if you're here today and you're searching you're curious and your heart is beginning to be open to Jesus and his work his person who he is you are in real time experiencing the immense grace of God God is drawing you as an act of grace. He is wooing you to himself as a gift of his grace. All of our achievements, all of our successes, all of our accomplishments, we didn't earn it, we didn't create it, no, it's a gift of God's grace. Everything in your life that you are cherishing and loving and delighting in, it's a gift of God's grace. And here Paul is saying, well, there's also one gift of grace that we usually don't perceive as a gift. And pausing, God has granted, He's gifted you, and allowing you to suffer for him. He has graced you. He has gifted you, not just to believe in him, but to suffer for him. Now, I know you're thinking, all campuses, you're thinking, now that's a gift I need to exchange for something else. Like, what's the return policy, God, on this gift? Because I don't really want to live out this gift of grace and suffering for God. Give me everything else but this. No, no, no. Suffering for Jesus is not a punishment. It's not a random unfortunate occurrence. No, suffering for Jesus is actually a gift of grace that God pours out on your life. How is it a gift of grace? Suffering for Christ reassures us that we are on the right side with God. Suffering for Jesus, enduring hardship on Christ's behalf, reassures us that we are on the right side with God. Look at verse 28 again. Without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you, this is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved, and that by God. Paul is saying, when you suffer for Jesus, when you are opposed, guess what? It's a sign. It's an evidence. What? It's an evidence of the fact that you are with God. It's a reassuring matter when you are paying the price for Jesus. It's a reassurance that you are standing on the right side with God because you are suffering on Christ's behalf. You're paying the price because you're with God. And those who are doing the opposing, unless they repent of their sins, unless they turn to Jesus, they will ultimately one day be destroyed. And that should grieve us. It should create an anguish to pray for their repentance and salvation. But they will be destroyed unless they turn to Jesus. But you who are experiencing the opposition, you will be saved by God. So we experience pain and suffering because we're on the right side with God. So we boldly preach Christ crucified. We preach the word of God without compromise because every time we pay a price, every time we suffer for it, it's simply reassuring us we're on the right side. We're on the winning side. We are doing this for Christ and his behalf and we are being saved every single day. Suffering is a gift because it reassures us, it reminds us, it provides a sign that we are standing with God. Second of all, suffering for Christ unites us closely to the life of Jesus. Suffering for Jesus unites us closely to the life of Jesus. How many of you have ever prayed this prayer, Lord, make me more like you? How many of you got to show me your hands online? You can comment on the feed. Make me more like you. Just about 30 of you, is that it? How many of you have really prayed that prayer? I know I have. Make me more like you. Yes, that's an amazing prayer to pray. One of the best. But notice what Philippians 3, just a couple of chapters later, Paul says in Philippians 3 verse 10, I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings. Becoming like him in his death and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Paul is saying, I want to know Jesus. I want to become like him. But there's two sides to the coin of knowing Jesus. I want to know Christ. One is to experience the power of his resurrection. We love that part. It's the overcomer in us. It's the overcoming struggles. It's the power of the risen Jesus helping us, strengthening us. And that's an amazing life to live. But there's another side to the coin. I want to experience the power of the resurrection and participate in his suffering. Becoming like him in his death. That's the darker side. That's the more painful side of the story. And in fact, it's the power of the resurrection that enables us to endure suffering. It's the power of the risen Jesus that enables us to become like him in his death because he was rejected, he was betrayed, he was bruised, he was wounded, and eventually he would go to an old rugged cross for you and I. And so if you want to become like Christ, it's a consent. It's saying, yes, I agree to joining Jesus in his pain to losing my job, to losing my friends, whatever it takes to follow Jesus, it's worth it because it is then and only then I am intimately united, one with Jesus. Oh, what a gift of his grace that amalgamates us, that unites us to Jesus becoming like him in his death. Suffering for Christ then strengthens the church And advances our mission it strengthens the church advances our mission Paul said in Philippians 1 verse 14 just a few verses prior to our text he said and because of my chains most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear Paul has told us that because of his imprisonment, a lot of the guards have become Christ followers and now he's saying, because of these chains, because of my pain, my suffering, the church has become more and more confident. They are becoming fearless in their spread of the gospel. They're saying, if Paul can do it, we can do it. We can't let him down. We're following the same Jesus. If he has to pay a price, we got to pay a price and they are united and the gospel of Jesus advances and the mission of Christ goes forth. Last February in Christianity Today, they wrote an article called Seven Benefits to the Coming Opposition in America for Christians. Seven benefits to the coming opposition in America toward Christians. And here's what they said. Opposition reminds us of what matters the most. It weeds out the frauds. It raises up prophetic voices. It moves people to the margins of lostness. It enhances genuine, real, authentic discipleship. It unites believers. And finally, opposition increases. That decreases. It increases the number of the disciples of Jesus. See, in the early church, if you read through the book of Acts, this church exploded. They multiplied, not in spite of suffering and persecution, but because of it. It was a catalytic factor in their growth. It wasn't in spite of their pain that they grew. It was because of it, because what it did was it made everything that doesn't matter fade to the background. And it united them around the cause of Jesus. They were united with Christ in their death. They were focused on eternity, winning the lost. They had a purpose greater than themselves, and they realized our mission is greater than our convenience. Our calling is greater than our comfort. And it united them, and they stride forward as one regardless of the cost, and it changed the world. And may it be the same in America. May it be here at Sugar Creek and all the churches in our great nation, that because of opposition, we grow, we thrive, and we see a revival sweeping across the nation, following the story of Jesus. Amen. <laughs> Let it be so here. <laughs> Suffering is a gift of God's grace, it unites us, it purges us, makes us more like Christ, shows us that we're on the right side. And lastly, Suffering for Christ leads to everlasting joy, unending glory, and an eternal reward. Suffering for Jesus leads to unending glory, eternal joy, and eternal reward. Notice what Peter said in these words. I'm going to read a few passages to you. 1 Peter 4, verse 12 to 14. Dear friends, don't be surprised, like we said, don't be surprised at the fury ordeal that has come on you to test you as if something strange were happening to you. But rejoice. What? Rejoice inasmuch as you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are actually blessed. The spirit of glory and of God rests on you. Second Timothy. Verse 12. If we endure hardship, we will reign with him. But if we deny him, he will deny us. Paul is saying the prerequisite to eternally reigning with Christ in heaven is to temporarily endure suffering for Christ on earth. The prerequisite to eternally reigning with Jesus in heaven is to temporarily suffer for him on the earth. So when we live life in view of eternity, man, any pain, any suffering is worth it because the glory to be revealed is far greater. And lastly, listen to the words of Jesus in Matthew 5, verse 10. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. For theirs, yours is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. You know what you do is you rejoice and you be glad because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Jesus is saying, when you pay the price because of righteousness, when you pay the cost for following me, you are blessed. In fact, you are joined in the company of prophets, of men and women across the pages of history who had to pay a price. You are joined in the company of Jesus himself who laid his life for truth. But great is your reward. Great is the kingdom that you and I are receiving. So authentic Christianity comes at a great personal cost, but we don't run away from it. We're not afraid because of it. No, we stand firm. We don't react in our flesh. Although we want to, we respond in the spirit. We are humble. We are filled with grace. We don't compromise the gospel, the truth of his word. No, we stand firm with boots dug deep into the ground, and we embrace pain and suffering as a gift of God's grace. If you're watching today and you're exploring Jesus, you're wondering if he's worth following, the answer is yes. He'll be your greatest prize, your greatest treasure. And whatever losses may come from following Jesus is so worth it for what you are gaining, your eternal reward, a joy that is indescribable. So I invite you today, whether from home or one of our campuses, if you are here apart from Christ, Would you say yes to following Jesus? Follow him, allow him to change you from the inside out. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the gift not only to believe in you, but to suffer for you. May we be found faithful in the face of opposition and persecution, in the face of ridicule and losses on this side of eternity, to be committed to who you are because you are so committed to us. So today we put our eyes back on you to find courage and boldness for our faith. Our faith is in you. So help our church, help us, God, today to be all that you've called us to be no matter what culture is saying or what's going on around the world. Let us stay true. To this narrow path to following Jesus. And if there's anyone, God, under the sound of my voice who needs to say yes to Jesus, may today may they receive the gift of grace in being saved in being counted as one of yours. We love you. We need you. Strengthen us today. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. Amen.